Off the Ball. Getting inside the game. Sponsored by Ireland's favourite car brand, Ford. Go further. There's a thousand people here. Hello, everybody! That's a bit better. Ireland are playing England this weekend. Everybody reckons that it's going to be the most important game of the Rugby Championship. So what better night for us with our friends in Heineken to bring you one of the best guest lists we've ever had in the week of a Rugby International. Of course, we have Brian O'Driscoll with us. We, Yeah, great. We have uh, Keith Wood. We have Jerry Thornley. We have Kevin Maggs. We have Andrew Trimble. We have Mick Galway. That's six, right? But we, we need seven for a sevens team. So I'm going to introduce you to Joe and Colm. Good evening, lads. This is the first time you've been introduced to the room tonight. Good Hello, evening. everyone. How are you getting on? Luke hello. Warm. Hello. <laughs> if anybody wants to say hello. <clears throat> hello. I'm going home. Move he's on. Get, he's getting booed. If anybody has any questions tonight, Colm has tickets to give away to Leinster against Bath in the Champions Cup quarterfinals in the Aviva uh, on Easter Saturday. So best questions of the night. And uh, just rugby tackle column or try and throw the rugby ball at him. He's not very two, good at that. Two best questions of the night, and I'll be over there. So make your way over to me and ask your question, and I'll choose the best two for the two pairs of tickets. Or some, Easy. somebody with taste will choose the best two. We'll, we'll, we'll work that one out later on. So listen, the reason Joe is here looking pretty is to, um, to make his acting debut live on the radio. You look a bit starstruck. <laughs> no, it's all right. Yeah, you're ready? We've rehearsed this. Yeah, okay, you're ready. We're okay. Joe's we're going uh, to give the audience a clue about... The other guest tonight. Guest through, number seven, uh, the magnificent seven. Through mime, Others. essentially. We're going to reenact it. So, Gilroy, you have to. Uh, mime with uh, spoken word because it's radio. So, you're going to show your ass to the room. Yeah, we're going to get in a scrum. We're kind of thinking, you take this. We're kind of thinking, uh, you know, last couple of minutes, big game, under the post, scrum time. You get a team in red and a team in green. Kind of. 12, 12, 13, 12 years ago. All right, so let's scrum down here, buddy. Yeah, so I, All right. would, I would push you off the stage if this was a real Suddenly scrum. Suddenly worried about a rip here. <laughs> <laughs> Brian O'Driscoll saw me earlier and said, Jesus, you've lost weight. I was like, I didn't realize I was that fat, apparently, but there you go. Right. Oh, poor Joe. <laughs> bit body conscious. Is that, how's that looking? No, right, come on. Okay. Okay. Right. Right, ready to go. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> Kneel back, everyone. <laughs> Oh, booze. Yeah. Booze for the acting, I presume. Who, uh, actually, who, who was I? Bonus points. Peter Stringer, I heard someone in the crowd. Do Leinster fans want Peter Stringer at Leinster? Yes. He's a symbol of Munster rugby. All right. Let's introduce some, uh, some calmness to the proceedings. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, Ireland's greatest ever rugby player, please put your hands together for Brian O'Driscoll. Welcome. Hello. I don't know if anybody would have guessed that that was actually Neil Back and Peter Stringer. I'm pretty sure they wouldn't have. Uh, that was the worst acting I've ever seen. No, it wasn't. That was spot on, the acting. Did you see that? Yeah, it was good. It was all right. <laughs> <laughs> so, Ireland, England, the week of the game, everybody's getting their game face on. Are the players getting their game face on or are they trying to avoid it? Um, I don't know. It's a bit early in the week to properly get your game face on. Um, by the time they go into town and go into the Shelburne later on in the week, I'm sure they'll start cluing in a bit. But now it's just about not giving anyone in, in the England team any motivation, saying anything untoward. So 
it, you know, expect some very, very bland comments in the next few days. Everybody's amazing and they all smell great and they, you know, like they're beautiful men, that kind of stuff. We were, kind of, we were kind of wondering, one of the things which has been talked about all week is about Lancaster and how there's this sense of humility about the English team now. Like, has the arrogance been overplayed of the previous 10, 12, 15 years? Because you would have played with a lot of guys, a lot of these guys as well. Like, the sense that they were, had a swagger to the point of being arrogant, and that's gone now. Were they as bad as it's, it's, it's kind of portrayed? No, I, I think they, they probably were justified in the swagger that they had. That team, um, that up to that 03, 03 World Cup winning team, um, they were beating everyone out the gate more often than not. And you earn the right to be able to swagger a little bit. Um, and then when we had four in a row from 03 to 07, I think that we probably gained a little bit of respect from them on that. Um, and now they're on four in a row and we need to put a stop to that. So yeah. um, I think they'll give us respect. I think they'll give us respect because we're probably the team they're vying for for the, for the Grand Slam and for the, and for the championship. So, um, yeah, it's a big game. My, my favourite memory of uh, England-Ireland games, like most people, is the Bull Hayes' tears in Croke Park. You were beside him. Did you taste his tears? <laughs> <laughs> Did you? <laughs> I was oblivious to it. I didn't know what was going on. Hayes was never one for singing anthems too loud, so I couldn't tell whether there was emotion or not. I only subsequently saw them, uh, saw the tears in pictures, and if I'd known... I don't know whether I'd have started laughing or whether I'd started crying <laughs> myself. Um, but yeah, you knew how important the game was if that freak was, uh, <laughs> yeah, was going to be crying. And were you, were you close to being emotional? Yeah, but um, I think there's a fine line keeping things in check. And um, yeah, there's emotion involved, but I, I don't know. I, I never really let it go often in, in, in the yeah. anthems. I think you're more excited about the game rather than letting the emotion take, take over from that. Yeah, I had a theory earlier on to the room that um, made them all, because I mean, they were going, oh, no, we're all going to boo Neil Back. And I was like, well, yeah, but hang on a second. If Neil Back didn't do that to Munster, then Munster would have three Heineken Cups as well as Leinster, and it would be very difficult to win the argument about who the greatest Irish province was. So I was making the case that maybe Neil Back is Leinster fans' favourite English player of all time. I, I think what Neil Back did was hilarious, no? <laughs> Stunned silence. <laughs> it's che- cheating at his very, very best. That's, that's Colin Parkinson in a nutshell. Right, ladies and gentlemen, time for us to get our next guest then. You didn't answer that, by the way. Are you, is that a diplomatic silence about the hell? Um, I don't think Neil Back's the worst guy in the world. <laughs> <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, let's get our next guest of the night. Keith Wood and our Reaper Player of the Year, Andrew Trimble. <laughs> Keithwood bounded up the stairs, but unfortunately Andrew Trimble is on crutches, and so he's a little bit slower than everybody else getting up. We're a bit slower than he would normally be, because we all know he's very fast. <laughs> we were going to carry him up, but look at the bloody size of him, will you? He, he's a big man. Thanks very much. <laughs> <laughs> we should just get this out of the way. I, I'm sure you're bored, silly. Everybody's, oh, jeez, you've got something wrong with your foot. What's wrong? Can, like, we, talk, can we please talk about this? <laughs> um, I've spent uh, about 16 weeks talking about it first time around, so um, unfortunately I did the exact same thing again. Uh, I was a couple of weeks away from playing and uh, just uh, tore the same ligaments, so I'm looking forward to 
another 16 weeks of tour conversations. Do they just try and stitch it back together? Is that? They, uh, well, whatever they did, they didn't do a very good job. <laughs> um, but uh, what they tried to do was uh, anchor the ligament back into the, the toe, so it didn't work. So. Is this something similar to what Donica Ryan has going on at the moment? It could, it could be something similar. It sounds like his is a little bit more serious, um, just that it's been going on for longer. But yeah. Um, Hopefully, hopefully mine won't take that long. You were obviously sensational last year, and uh, I, you know, I wonder if there's ever a good time to get an injury. There probably isn't. You're a professional. It's the whole point of it. But just as you're getting to that point of everybody going, geez, Andrew Trimble, first name down on the team sheet, you're like, oh, my toe is gone. Thanks very much. Good timing. Yeah, I mean, last year, last year was a special season, um, and to be involved with, um, with it and to be involved in that bunch of boys and uh, accomplishing something you know, pretty special, um, and that last day in Paris as well just sort of summed everything up. So. It was great, and I love being a part of it, and uh, it gave me an appetite just to continue being involved, and, you know, I think I've been very lucky. I've been playing professional rugby for 10 years, and I've never had an injury in the middle of the season, so yeah. I think it was just always going to catch up. But at least, at least it did come after you had that amazing season, because there was a time there where you weren't sure if you were going to be able to transfer your Ulster form into your Ireland form, and then to finally do it, you're like, well, that's okay, I'm, I'm, I deserve to be here. Yeah, I, I know, I mean... Uh, for, for a long time, I felt like I was just kind of slogging it out and, and getting nowhere. Um, uh, definitely in a green jersey, it, it just never seemed to happen. And, uh, you know, I'm just, as you say, you know, I'm just happy I've got that good season. I've got um, something to look back on and be very proud of. And then hopefully, you know, back it up whenever we get the chance. Yeah, it's nice of him and his mate Tommy Bow to tag team their injuries so that one of them is always available to keep that, uh, that jersey tied down. <laughs> yeah, listen, um, you know, both of them in, uh, in an international team um, it would be preferable um, to have him back and have Dave Kearney back and put pressure on the two boys that are in situ at the moment would be fantastic. Um, hopefully we get him back in time for the World Cup because we saw what, what his performances did for the team last year. So, um, yeah, I'm, I'm more intrigued as to whether there's more toe jam this time round or, or last time. <laughs> they, they, um, they're looking pretty. They, they told me that was normal. Um, Please explain what uh, toe jam is. It sounds well. I, I mean, Brian's calling it toe jam. It's actually iodine. I mean, I don't want to get bogged down in the detail. <laughs> but I, thought, uh, I thought it was a, whoopy, uh, a weeping pus or something. I was just—I was just going to say it has to be the crappiest-looking bandage of all time. I mean, you know, they really need to get to, you know to look after you up in Ulster, for God's sake. <laughs> Well, yeah, I, couldn't, I couldn't disagree with you. It, it looks repulsive. I'm going to keep it down, actually. And not look at <laughs> Get a look at it. It's right in front of the camera here. Yeah. Uh, all right, if anybody has any questions, add off the ball on Twitter, or you can text the show on 53106 as well. But I do want to show you a video, because one, um, one of the things I think Andy McNulty did with you uh, was just to sit you down one night and start watching good stuff on YouTube. And it's good to watch good things again, right? Yeah, listen, remind yourself of what you're capable of. And um, sometimes when you have a bit of a... You know, a lull in confidence, just, yeah, no, some things haven't changed physically, so just remind the head that this is what you are capable of doing and why can't you do it again? That was going to be very relevant until you said the, somebody who'd lost confidence, because it's actually Keith Wood here and I don't think he ever lost confidence. <laughs> I'm, I'm feeling very low at the moment. Let's have a look. It's Keith Wood against England. So Julian White's the culprit this time. Now let's see. There it is on the pin to walk. Nice bit of footwork there. Yeah, <laughs> that, yeah. Craig, Craig Gilroy-esque. Yeah. yeah. We, uh, Very subtle, aren't they? We, we watch it again and again and again, and there's so much, uh, a beautiful little bit of pass from Anthony Foley. 
There's a couple of great things. I mean, Golov is here and he'll take all the credit of it as he should. And Foley would if he was here. The pass of Foley was perfect and I didn't have to slow down, you know, to get it. And um, um, there's a beautiful piece of play by Eric Miller who just takes a step across the line, takes two guys with him and there's a gap. And then you see Neil back and if ever you wanted to crash and smash somebody, there's pure pleasure written all over my face. Um, and it was, it was just great. Sure, look, one-on-one, -on -one, I knew I was going to score, so... <laughs> uh, he actually has no idea what he's walked into. I just chatted him there for a second. He said, what in the name of God? I thought there was about 10 people going to be here. There's 10 on the stage. Uh, yeah, it's gonna, we're going we're gonna to be respectful, though, right? <laughs> there's, there's another 40 minutes of drinking to be done in the meantime. Um, it, it, just on the, the real point, though, that this is in the middle of a period of time where occasional victories against England are pockmarked by 50-point defeats or 40-point defeats. Yeah, it, it was very... I mean, it was unbelievably tough. And, you know, what's a small bit annoying about that is that we had lost to Scotland just before it, and maybe that could have been for us going for a Grand Slam as well, and it wasn't, and that's kind of frustrating when you look at it. But it was a big game for us with a lot of guys that we toured with that summer on the lines, so we knew an awful lot of what they were going to be able to deliver and do, and we had organised a game plan to try and expose a couple of players to try and do some incredibly simple things. I mean, that was a line-out we'd used three or four years beforehand, hadn't used it for a while, practised it once that morning um, in the car park, practice it once before the game and then we said sure look we'll use it and um, it was there's a great clip oh, well, we, we don't, we don't, of course we don't have it because I, I didn't tell you about this um, <laughs> but um, the, my memory of that game is Peter Stringer at the very end of the game I came out of the line when I shouldn't have and, and I was knackered tired and I rushed to get up off the ground and rushed to get into the line and without any real idea of what was going on and um, Dan Luger burst all the way through the middle and Dan Luger, I play with Dan and Quinns, he's lightning fast. And I said, damn it, that's it. You know, this was our chance and game over, he's going to score. And Stringer dived full length, like sprinted after him, dived full length and caught him with his fingernail, you know, and it was, it was brilliant. We all flooded in afterwards. And even with everything going right for us, we, you know, we, we won the game, but we were hanging on at the end and we took it and it was confusing at the end because England still won the championship, but we did a lap of honour. You yeah. know, it was kind of confusing. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I pulled all the team in, and I said, I have absolutely nothing to say to you. <laughs> so, yeah, it was, I mean, it was interesting. I, I think at that stage, we were winning once every 10 years against England. Yeah. The 94 win, where we're going to see the try from Gagan a little bit later on. We lost every other game in the championship that year. Like, uh, and the kind of the reason I'm bringing this up is to just show how far we've come. Brian, you kind of straddle those two periods where there are still some horrific defeats, where they win the Grand Slam in, in Lansdowne Road, for example. I think it's 42-6, uh, whatever. We'll talk a bit about that with Neil back later on, you know, ease him into the whole thing gently. But now it's at a point where there's a score a game, and that's what decides it. And we're kind of wondering why, why and how did this actually happen, that we've become a, a proper first-world rugby country? I think that comes from um, from winning a few games and, and consecutively winning some games against them. Obviously, you know, Woody talked about you know, that 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 game in two was it 2001? Yeah, it was the foot and mouth uh, game. I, I, I kind of differ in opinion slightly about the Scotland game and us playing for a Grand Slam. I think you go in with a completely different mentality if you have a Grand Slam game. If we've gone and won against Scotland, so maybe we wouldn't have played with you know a bit of 
gay abandon about needing to go after uh, England and that could put a different reflection on, on things completely. But, you know, you look at the, the wins uh, in 04, 05, 06 and 07, when we won over in Twickenham for the second time yeah. in 06, I think that was huge, the Shane Horgan reaching to the corner when we won the, the Triple Crown, that was massive for us. And I think probably that year they kind of thought, they're not that bad a team. And then when we subsequently won, won well in Croker in, in 07, I think that really probably cemented um, a bit of respect in their eyes uh, that you know, these, we weren't going to be a pushover. Uh, now, subsequently, we haven't done brilliantly against them. They're on a, on a run now, so um, yeah, we're, we're due to, to get our run back on, and hopefully it starts Sunday. Yeah, Andrew, I think um, you were on the field for 2006 anyway, uh, in, in that game on St. Patrick's Day in, in Twickenham. What do, you, what do you recall from that one? Yeah, that was that was another big day. It was a, a special day, a big big performance, and then you know it's, it's you know pretty iconic sort of scene of um, Shaggy going over in the corner, um, tallest winger in the world rugby at the time. So I think he was the only winger about that might have made that. But um, then the next year, you know, we backed it up at, at Crook Park, and that was a, a big big occasion. Um, <clears throat> I uh, I knew it was a big occasion, so I kept my jersey and I got it signed by everybody. Then it got nicked. No way. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Yeah, I left it overnight in uh, Kalini Castle. No way. And someone robbed it. Yeah. Well, what can you do? It's one of those things, isn't it? Well, we can put the call out now tonight. Somebody somewhere has what, what number? Uh, 11. Right. For the Croke Park game as well? Sorry, no. The, no. the, the Twickenham game? I was on the bench for Croke Park. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to say. There's a promotion. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, that day was pretty special. It was nice to get on the pitch. Uh, whenever the final whistle went. Um, I had some probably more unpleasant experiences uh, at Twickenham. Playing, I played in the centre um, I think the following year at 13, uh, and it, it was nowhere near as easy <laughs> as he makes it look. Um, at the, uh, and then sh uh, Shaggy at 12, and um, we, we probably produced performances that were fairly ashamed of <laughs> that day. Um, but things didn't really go to plan. So I think it's been a little bit bittersweet uh, in recent times, and last year especially, despite winning the championship, um, you know, it's very, very disappointing always to lose to England, so just one of those things. Yeah, what do you remember about that, that performance last year? Because we did want to get some insight into the current team, and, and one of the points that maybe Joe was talking about earlier, when he took over, Stuart Lancaster took over a swaggering England team that was actually a disaster on the field, had no discipline off it, there was dwarf tossing, there was all sorts of stuff going on uh, that they were wrapped in scandal for, and suddenly none of that happens anymore. Yeah, yeah, he seems to have had a similar effect on England that Joe had on us. Um, uh, last year, certainly over there, they're a very difficult side to beat. Um, they're a lot more structured, a lot more disciplined on and off the pitch, as you say, and then you can see that having an effect on, on their performances as well. So, um, you know, as, as, as Brian alluded to, you know, we, need, we need to stop the rot, and, and this year's a, a great opportunity to do that um, before we go potentially five losses in a row, and then we have to go to Twickenham. So it's going to be difficult. How much physical pain are you in after playing England? Uh, a lot, really. I mean, well, at that stage, well, it depends on what time. When you win, you don't feel any pain. Um, we went through periods of time in, you know, in the mid-90s when you play them, and they were, you know, in their pomp, and towards 99, 2000, when they had that fantastic team, they had a load of really good captains, you know, Johnson and Delalio playing. Um, it was just... It was just a horrible game. You know, it was a really hard game, and you wanted to do well, and you're, you, do you know what? You're able to take the physical nature of it and you're able to take all that and then suddenly in some of those games they racked up 
35, 40 points. They hit 50 once. And you can't take it then, I'll tell you that. There's just, there's no, there's no pleasure in that. There's no joy in your jersey on those days. And um, you can just see it when they had the capacity, uh, you know, for, for a few years to really have a right cut, but they didn't go after it a lot of the time. They were happy to go, be methodical and go through the game and get the win and do very well. But sometimes it would just click for them. They'd get a, a score early or two scores early, and then suddenly they would ramp it up. And when their confidence was up at that level, it was very hard to stick with. Yeah. Last year's game, what, what's your remember, memory of that one, Brian? Um, they're, they're more often than not very tight games, um, but also there, there's not a great opportunity to, to play a lot of rugby against England. They're defensively unbelievably solid, and particularly with Andy Farrell uh, coming in and doing the job that he's done. He started off in Saracens, and he's, he's brought that into, into the English setup. And no matter where a team is, you can... You, if you start with your defence and get that sorted and build your attack on top of it, if you make yourselves a hard team to beat, that's a good footing to be on. And, and they, they, they did that with England, and now they're building some attack shape, and particularly with having George Ford in there, I think they're able to, to do some really nice stuff. But defensively, they get excited about defending. And a lot of teams think, you know, things like kick chase, we'll kick it away and kick it long. Oh, we'll take a breather. That's when they get excited and they go, right, let's ramp it up and let's actually make this a weapon and the really good sides are able to to, to do that and and turn defense into attack with big shots and counter rooking and just enthousi enthusiasm and uh, i think that england team definitely has that and they you know, particularly when they had people they have people like haskell that 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 revels in the big hits and yeah. and what that you know what what effect that has uh, to the rest of his team People like Brad Barrett that play, plays for them when he plays. He's a huge defensive player. So, you know, it, it, it's going to be... I don't think it's going to be a beautiful game to watch on, on Sunday, but um, it might come down... For me, it'll probably come down to a bit of discipline and who kicks their goals and maybe one try. Courtney Law did a big game last year, is that right? Yeah, he played well. Yeah, he played well. He's a, he's, um, he's a big player for them. He, he obviously is a, is a big collision winner. Um, and he, you know, he's he's just back. Whether they're going to, whether they're going to, they sent them back to his club. Yeah, Laws, yeah. Is, Laws is not going to make it, but um, you know, you'd expect him to play some part in this tournament at some point. Yeah, they were saying he mightn't have game time. I didn't realise he'd, he'd he'd been sent back, but he, um, you know, he he's a big player. They're, they're second rows in Launchbury and and Laws that were there last year. They don't have this year, and that's that's a lot of work. Uh, in there, Launchbury has a massive engine on them, so they're two big losses. I don't know about Atwood's gone well this year. Cruz is going okay as well, but I don't think they're the same caliber as those two boys that, that are missing. So if we can think that we can get parity, at least in the tight five, I think we have cleverer players uh, in the rest of the park yeah. to be able to make up for that. Keith, what, um, what's our game plan then this week? How do you take advantage of where England are strong and actually decide that you're going to try and nullify that? I think our game plan is... is maybe a little bit more of a variation on what we've seen already. Um, you'd like to see a few more set plays in positions of the field where we haven't really seemed to have a chance too much. We haven't had really good attacking lineups or good at, um, attacking scrums. And, you know, I thought Johnny Sexton eased his way into the game. And I thought the game plan was, in some respects, to ease him into the game. And I don't think we took many chances. I don't think we forced any pass. Um, 
and I thought we played pretty efficiently, you know, and I, I thought, uh, you know, and there's been criticism about it. It wasn't a pretty game of rugby, but there's something beautiful about the manner in which they went about it. And, um, you know, I, I would see us trying to do a little bit more and attack a little bit more. And, you, you know, I mean, you look at George Ford and you'd say he's a small guy and you'd look to try and attack him, but he defends very well. And he also doesn't get caught with the ball in his hands too often. He's pretty, he's pretty, he's very calm. For a young player, isn't he? Uh, yeah, he is. I think he's a really, really classy player, and and he's definitely a better option at the moment than than um, than Farrell at ten. And, and through um, through default, he probably finds himself a bit more relaxed in that now Farrell's gone and Cipriani. As much as he's on the bench, you know, it, only under, under emergency is he going to be called in. But I think going back to to France and 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 us getting continuity and and playing a bit, you have to remember that. They gave away six kickable penalties. So it's very hard. You know, we're trying to play, yeah. but they're not letting us. And the referees penalise them, and we've taken our points. So you can't have it every way. You know, we're, we're managing to keep the scoreboard ticking over, and we want to play, but the referee has decided the France aren't allowing and really stupid penalties, like idiotic penalties that they gave away. But, you know, we'll take our threes and keep yeah. chipping away, and we were comfortable winners. Yeah. I, I was very relaxed at the end, you know, seven points up. I would felt we should, have been, we should have been 10, 14 points up against France. We were that much better than them. Yeah, I think so. We built, we built the lead, and I think, um, you know, Jules send the boys out with a game plan, you know, and you'll have a, a set piece, uh, uh, you know, a, a pattern for every set piece in every area in, inside probably their 10-meter line. But the problem is, um, they never give us quick ball. We, we get to the first phase, second phase, and just we were nowhere near as clinical as we would need to be to put uh, to put into into process that plan that Joe would give us, and uh, and and that's a problem, and that's going to be a problem against England. And I I don't know. I haven't spoke to many of the guys this week. Whenever they're up, the last thing they want to talk about is rugby. But um, I'd imagine Joe give the boys a hard time, made sure that they they make sure our our, our rock our breakdown is a lot more clean than it was last week or last time out and. That'll enable us to, to get a foothold in the game and to get some, some tempo going and put England under pressure. Who are the players that are dictating how fast that ball is coming back? Is that, a, is that a, an inexactitude on the part of the Irish players? Is it a bit to do with what France were doing, both legally and illegally? Well, um, illegally, the six times that they gave away the penalties, but quite a lot of the time legally as well. And uh, even whenever they didn't get the turnover, they did enough to slow us down. I think we're just not being precise or not being clinical enough. I thought the offside line didn't seem to exist for an awful lot of it as well. You know, there was a, a lot of creeping up on it. And, um, but we weren't efficient enough at rock time. We didn't put, whether we put enough of guys in or that you make certain that you fall correctly, um, they were flopping off their feet a lot of the time. They did get penalised. But you just want to be able to get it and go quickly. But even having said all that, if you go and to the last couple of plays, and if Sexton had made the pass to Payne or whatever had happened with that, and that had been the score, that actually would have been a far closer view of what the game was like in terms of comfort level, an extra seven points, and suddenly you'd say, yeah, that was an easy win. So given that, right, and given that we expect Ireland to improve for last week, okay, so Jamie Heasel will be gone, we expect maybe Jordy Murphy comes in, but we've Sean O'Brien with a full game, Keen Healy might start this game, should we expect Ireland to win this game? Is the, like the bookies have it as a scratch game at the moment, but should Ireland actually be favourites at home? Two wins from two, Brian? It, listen, it's, it's England, you know, and um, it's, there's nothing in the bookies. Everyone knows the bookies don't get it wrong. Yeah. 
very often. So a scratch game, you know, it, it's, it's who really turns up on the day and who, who manages to do the small things and, and, like I said, kick their goals. Should we feel that we, can, that we should win it? Yes, we should, because we should be confident. But can England win it? Absolutely. Yeah. So we still need to play very well. We need to play better than we did against France, because I think England will be much better than France. Um, but I think we have to have that capability of being confident as, as, as potential favourites going into it. Yeah. And England, you know, there's a lot of talk this week coming from England about, about Ireland. Ordinarily, I don't think there'd be that much, because I think they see us as the, the main threat. I think, you know, they have, uh, I think they have France in Twickenham this year. So they'll fancy their chances there. So they think that this is the real make-or-break game. Yeah. Uh, was it always your favourite game, the England game? Like, automatically? Or when they had that amazing team, were you like, oh, balls? No, it, it's a great game and a huge game to play. And I, I will say that at the very start, I think in many cases, when we weren't playing very well, it was the only game that anybody was interested in. Because if you beat England, everything was perfect and fine with the world. Yeah. And... Um, but then when you went towards the, the end of my career and when, uh, when Dricker was starting and then, then you kind of wanted to win every game, you know, and it wasn't about just having all that focus and you wanted to move the focus away from it. But then you get to the week of the match and then you just can't wait, you know. That's, but this is entirely the focus. So they're not thinking about anybody else, they're not thinking about any other team, just thinking about, about England and uh, saying, yeah, this is a good one to win. Yeah. And it will be a good one to win. All right, 53106 is the text number. If you want to get in touch, you can text us as well, add off the ball. Don't forget, we're here with thanks to our friends in Heineken. A couple of quick texts and tweets. Question for Brian O'Driscoll. After 15 years of blood, sweat and tears and having to work so hard and wait so long for a Grand Slam, if Ireland win the Slam this year, will he look at that young book, Henshaw, in your 13 jersey, winning a Slam in his first year and think, you lucky bastards. <laughs> He's wearing 12. <laughs> 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 no, I'll, I'll think, you know, he deserves it because he's, he's do you know what, he's, even do, he's done an apprenticeship that no one really knows about and he's been in Six Nations squads for a couple of years and not seen any game time, so he deserves his opportunity. He's played really well this year yeah. and, you know, he, he's, he's a really good listener um, and a top quality player. He's the real deal and if he gets one, he deserves one. But Jared Payne, you'll think you lucky bastard. Oh, it's a joke. Can't believe he, <laughs> can't believe he's going to get one. No, listen, Jared, Jared's, uh, I think Jared's been probably a little bit of an unsung hero with Ireland in the first couple of games. He's been under the radar, and he's going to have one big game in the next three. Maybe not, he, defensively, he should be as solid against England, but yeah. I think he's going to cut loose maybe against Wales or, or Scotland. Uh, Andrew, what about you? Are you kind of, like, secretly going, you know, maybe I'd like to be missed a little bit for the next couple of games, just... No, not at all. <laughs> Your nose is growing. It's quick, was it? Too quick. <laughs> uh, no, no, I mean, we worked hard for it last year and, uh, you know, we got, I think, what we deserved and then I'm, you know, fully aware of, of how much hard work the boys have put in this year. <laughs> what's, gonna, what's going on? <laughs> but, yeah, no, I mean, uh, Tommy's back in there and, um, you know, it'd be, it'd be just great to see him win another Grand Slam. <laughs> <laughs> All he really wants is a new bandage for his foot. <laughs> two, two more quick ones. Um, question for at Andrew underscore Trimble. How the hell does he take his skitty jeans off over the cast? This is a very good question. There must be a helper. There is a, there is a helper. Um, yeah, my wife's a doctor. Okay. <laughs> get, get to the rest of that sentence yeah. quick. Yeah. <laughs> um, well, it, it's more of a rather than trying to keep them this way in, they have to be peeled inside out and then turned. So it's quite simple, but... <laughs> It works. It works for me. 
And then Rob C, who's obviously in the hall, says, Can, my wife. <laughs> <laughs> Can you please put a bag over Trim's foot? It's freaking me out. <laughs> it was the cross-legged. That's why I realized halfway through. <laughs> All very Sharon Stone. Things took a turn for the interesting uh, halfway through there. We're going to get uh, everybody out on stage at the end of the show tonight to ask some questions for them before we have our um, crappy quiz on tour. But for now, ladies and gentlemen, please put your hands together for Andrew Trimble and Keith Woods. <laughs> Big proper cheer, please, for our latest guests to the stage. We have Jerry Thorny of the Irish Times, we have Kevin Maggs, and we have Mick Galway. <laughs> Lads, you're all very welcome. Thanks very much for joining us. Um, Brian, I've got to ask you about Kevin Maggs because uh, he made it easy for you when you started. He was your first centre partner. You were very lucky. You had two amazing centre partnerships. There's him and there's Darcy. Talk to us about this guy. Um, Maggsy was obviously um, hugely important to um, the early and middle part of my career um, where you know, he, he kind of brought me under his wing in the early days, looked after me. We were roomies. Um, I was you know, barely wet behind the ears, so uh, he looked after me as, as the kid things. that I was. <laughs> um, but he, um, you know, just from a, from a playing point of view, from a defensive point of view, I, I learned a huge amount from him. And I picked up a couple of soft tries off the back of him being fairly brutal in the contact. So uh, yeah, he's, he, he, you know, he, was, he was a fantastic player for, for Ireland, both in the center and, and on the wing. And he's 60 odd caps, um, you know, and you know, he must have been 70, 70, Brian. 70 excuse me, Kevin. Yeah. And who would have thought a guy with that pace could play on the wing, but <laughs> sure exactly. enough. I want to know, in fairness. We'll, we'll just leave that silence. Um, Kevin, welcome. Thanks very much for joining us. It's great to have yeah, you because we, yeah. we haven't had you before. Um, the, there's a load of stuff that we're showing tonight where there are videos of uh, our great tries from famous victories. All your great tries, and there were some amazing tries, came in like uh, close to narrow defeats to New Zealand or were 30 nil down against France and you run three quarters of the length of the pitch, do an amazing one-two and then touch it down under the post and everybody's like, yeah, great, well done, we're, like, we're losing the game. But some of the great uh, unheralded Irish tries were scored by you. Um, uh, we wondered if, you know, well, yeah, um, an ill star. A lot of people, uh, you know, sometimes criticise me for not celebrating, but I'm like, well, we're 35 points down. You know, what... <laughs> You know, what do you expect me to do? Like, take my shirt off and run into the crowd, you know? I mean, uh, yeah, look, I, you know, I've, um, I'm very lucky to be part of Brian's journey, to Mick Galway's and, you know, all the other players that I've played with. You know, I've just had an amazing time. It's, it's been, you know, it's been a time of my life, really, you know? We, um, we have Eddie O'Sullivan on the show a good bit, and, and one time we were talking about that game at Twickenham, where England, of course, had just won the World Cup, but... As I said, talk to Neil back about that a little bit later on. And uh, there was a, a theory going around that obviously it's the first home game of the world champions, first world champions from the Northern Hemisphere, and we're kind of all in it together, and maybe we should clap them out onto the field. And he said, right, I'm going to let you guys, you're the players, you decide. And he walked out, and he came back afterwards, and there was, there was a consensus that that wasn't the case. And he asked later on, you know, what was the crack? I wasn't sure what, how that would go. Uh, was, it, was it pretty straightforward? And apparently you, you had the final word on this. Do you remember anything about it? No comment. <laughs> what I heard was you were standing up on the table going, no, no. Is that, is that right? Well, I mean, uh, you know, I was lucky enough to be in a, a great bath side at the time. And, you know, they had quite a number of the, you know, the, the standout England players like Mike Catt, Tyndall Bolshaw, 
Matt Perry and you know, I had to listen to those guys every day. So um, there was no way I was doing it anyway. <laughs> Did he put forward a convincing argument, Brian? Do you remember? <laughs> I, I do. It was. Magsy was always quite vociferous when it came to decisions to be made against England. Um, I remember he was one of the, the staunch believers uh, in, in not allowing Martin Johnson to stay where he was in 03 and that we had to go down the far side of them. I kind of, a lot, for a lot of those decisions, I just turned to him because, you know, if, if one guy wasn't going to do it, you know, no, no one was going to do it. So, listen, we all knew the answer to the, to the, to the clapping out. Um, I, I think it was a mad idea and one that was never going to fly. So, yeah. Um, yeah, you know, Kevin was never shy of, of stepping up and, and being counted when, uh, when his answer was needed. So, yeah, the, the, the conversation was very, very brief. Yeah, okay, well, that's good to know. Here, I've been talking about playing videos. Let's, uh, let's see Mick Galway's amazing moment against England. As England come once more, Carling under pressure. The tackle goes behind Tony Underwood-Gagan. Well, it's still in play for Ireland. It's Elwood popping it up to Kieran Clark at pace. Back inside the England 22. Ireland to the last. Bradley runs. Slips onto Galway. They'll not stop him. It's Galway, the hero. Ireland goes wild. And up off the deck, Mick Galway of Shannon. The Kerry man has added the icing. So, Jerry, you might explain to us who that lady is. <laughs> We've just seen the video, and there's a, a lady in a yellow shirt, sure, jumper. And a brown coat, running on delighted. the pitch. She's got a bag in her hand. Yeah, with a handbag in her hand, as, as happened in Lansdowne Road in the old days. Mick, 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 yeah, his sister. <laughs> who Thank God. Who he got a ticket for that morning and arrived late from New York. And he never saw her before the game or subsequently, but only on the pitch just after he scored a try. True, no? <laughs> Very true. It's not Very bad, true. It's not a bad story. Not, not a bad, bad story. <laughs> not a bad story. Just, just getting back to the try. I know we can all see it here on the screens. But for those people who are listening on the radio, I got the ball about 25 yards out and made a few dashes. And you know, should I, I was going to go into the post, but I said I'd go for the safe option in the corner. You know, just. For those of you who can't see it, anyway, but that's the way it was, yeah. Mick, again, the, you, you played in those kind of, um, those period of time where a win against England was seen as something, almost a, a complete fluke. Now, obviously, there's back-to-back -back wins there. But then you come back when the, the new team is reborn, uh, the last year at Gatland and the start of that. And, <clears throat> again, what do you think changed in the mindset between those two teams where, you know, you go and you give it a lash and sometimes you score an amazing try and win the games too? That team that was never going to give that inch again. Yeah, it was amazing. Obviously, when we had the two wins in '93 and '94, which was the amateur days, and, and, and for those of you who remember the early '90s, when I when I got first capped, um, there weren't great times to be playing for Ireland. Like we were usually playing off with wooden spoon, and unfortunately, that's the way it happened. Um, I remember in '93 in particular, we, um, you know, I think England were coming for their for their third or fourth championship. I think it was their fourth championship and it was only going to be a matter of form. But thankfully, we produced it on the day and it was absolutely phenomenal. Again in 94, when Simon Gagan got that great try over in Twickenham, that was fantastic. But they were, they were really once-off uh, situations. And I, Sorry, just on that, because that was the only game that Ireland won that year and England won all the rest of their games. That's exactly it. And I think, I don't know, I think, was it, was it, a, was it a fear factor we had? We didn't want to be trounced or whatever. But um, it just wasn't working for us. But for some reason, we were able to get it up for England. And, uh, you know, I hope the boys can do the same again next weekend. But that's, you know, that was, that's the way we were. <laughs> um, 
But yeah, obviously moving on to the professional game. He means um, the dander, obviously. Yeah, the, the dander, dander you feel the dander. They know that. They know that. <laughs> but obviously moving on to the professional game, and, and um, particularly in 2001, I suppose um, it was great. Obviously, Woody was, went, went through the trial earlier on. But the one thing he didn't he didn't mention was uh, he actually got the throw right for a change. You know, it was usually we often tried that move, but Woody would probably throw it in crooked. Like that was that was the biggest problem we had. <laughs> Here. I was always able to catch it, by the way. That, 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 was, that was a given. Here, no, because we have him every week. We never get to hear anybody realistically analyse the quality of his throw-ins. Was he? Was he, well, he, was, he wasn't exactly Jockey Wilson-like, but he, was, he wasn't too bad. You know what I mean? He'd, he'd miss a few. He'd pull out a bullseye every now and then, but he wasn't bad, no, in fairness. He wasn't bad. Wonderful. We used to like him, of course. Like he, was, he was probably the first forward that ever played out in the wing. You know? like we used to give him an awful dude. Particularly clawing the boys, like, what are you doing out there? You're all waiting for the soft scores. Well, in fairness, he got a few of them, but uh, <laughs> he, he, he did the hard work as well, in fairness to him. <laughs> Jerry, why, why did this matter so much to us? Uh, what, like, I mean, there's all the obvious reasons, but Ireland England, there, there is something special about town this week. You're just kind of wandering around going, all right, there's a big game on. Uh, 800 years or something like that, I don't know. There's, there's a huge history there for sure. Um, uh, you go to Twickenham particularly, and... It's the best place to be Irish if Ireland have just won. And it's the worst place to be if Ireland have just lost. And I probably speak behalf on every single away fan. There's something about swing low, sweet chariot if you're backing the away team and they're losing. It's just a desperate place to be. You just want to get out of there very quickly. Whereas when you win, you really want to linger. You want to hang around for a long, long time. And um, yeah, it's just, it's, it's funny because Mick was talking about those wins in 93, 94, and you were as well. I think Ireland won two matches out of about 20 in a period of five years, three matches. And two of them were against the best team of its time, England. It's just England have always managed to produce the best from Irish teams. From that point on, it's not quite 50-50, but the, the ratio of Ireland wins to Ireland defeats is vastly superior to the previous 100 years. So obviously something, there's a seismic shift in, in the power. Obviously they go and win a World Cup and reach a World Cup final, and we have yet to achieve that. But at least now every time the teams meet and judging on the last couple of years we're always going to be competitive with England from yeah, now on from now on you think although the last four have been defeats and so forth but yeah there was a paradigm shift in a roundabout I think after the 03 World Cup when they were they came out of Twickenham as reigning World Cup champions and Ireland went there and won and was that spark seven wins out of eight in a row I think it was so when you, when you get a streak like that I think yeah, it, it, it changes things. And now Irish players, fans, everybody believes there's no... I don't think there is an inferiority complex anymore. And I don't think really four defeats in a row really matters this coming Sunday. Yeah, you were saying earlier that you don't think that's going to be much of a motivation for them, the fact that they've lost those four games. I think we, you know, we, we've gotten over that. Um, and as much as I'm sure, I'm sure England got over you know, the four in a row that they lost, I'm sure they thought this isn't the way it's meant to be. Um, back in, in 08 when, when they kind of put us to the sword a bit. But I, I really don't envisage Joe using that as a big motivational tool this week. It's just a case of 80 minutes against a really good opposition. And we were, we're, we're nearly always able to raise our game against England because no matter what, it, what England side is playing, it's usually one of the top three or four teams in the world. So besides the you know, 800 years and besides playing against one of the best teams in the world, you know, there's, there's massive bragging rights. And, you know, I remember Magsy every time that we, you know, we went and won against England, he used, to, he used to love going into training on a Monday morning over in Bath. And sometimes the rest of the Scottish boys that we'd be playing for Bath or, you know, some of the foreigners would clap him in and uh, make sure that he got a rousing reception. So it, it does, it, it means a huge amount to us 
Um, probably, I'm sure it means a lot more. We'll hear from Neil back about their victories against Ireland. I'm sure they just took them ten a penny. But for us, it's 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 the biggest game of the year, more often than not. Yeah. And that comes with, like like Jerry said, comes with 800 years. Yeah, Mick. Yeah, I have to, I have I have to back that up. You know, like it, you know, if if you weren't when you go out on the pitch, um, you know, wearing an Irish jersey. If you, uh, you know, if you weren't prepared to play against England, you shouldn't be, you shouldn't be wearing that jersey. And that was the huge thing, you know. And I suppose that's why we were, that's why, like, in, in, in 93, 94, we weren't playing well. When, you know, when there was mediocre teams beating us, um, we just couldn't perform. But look, when we played against England, we just took on a completely different animal altogether. And, and, and you know, we played above ourselves. And we knew we were representing more than an Irish jersey, and that made it extra special, I suppose. Did any of those things actually have a role when Munster started getting good, that you'd been part of a team which had beaten a brilliant England side? Did it, did it all kind of, were they all little building blocks along the way, or am I kind of reaching a bit for that? No, no, I, th I think there was. Like, each little thing helps, you know what I mean? Like, obviously, you know, if you look at the last, I suppose since, since the introduction of the Heidegger Cup, you know, our, our, our provincial club sides have done very well, particularly in Europe, and, you know, the more, I remember back in 2000, you know, with, with the change, like once we, we were doing well, we, we obviously got to the final that year, but lost it. But, you know, you the likes of John Hayes and just serving his first cap, you would Stringer and O'Gara, these kind of players. They had won in France against club sides and they didn't have an issue going to France playing, playing against, against the English sides or against the, um, the, the, the international side. And the same when you played against England, you know, like all of a sudden you have these young fellas, they have no fear, they've no, they're, they're not carrying any baggage. And all of a sudden, you put them out into the international stage, and it's just another game. And I think that's one of the great things about the Gordon setup. You know, players don't carry baggage. They're, 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 they're very comfortable no matter what jersey they play in, be, be it with their province or their country. And I think that's one of the great things about modern Irish rugby. Um, as I said, when I played, we took a lot of hidings. You know, we won a few, but we took a lot of hidings. And that has, that has an effect on players. It has an effect on morale. And now, thankfully, you know, lucky, we're lucky enough at the moment. We, we, you know, we're third-ranked team in the world. All the stats are right. We're playing good rugby. I think in Johnny Sexton, we're probably one of the most influential players in world rugby, you know, and it's, it's great to have someone like that. So we can, build, we can build our game plan around certain players, and I think that's, that's hopefully that we will be able to do that on Sunday. Kevin, what was it like being um, an Irish player playing in England? Because we didn't have that many. Obviously, Keith was one of the very few around that time, and then Simon Gagan in that era, obviously, that kind of London Irish crew. Uh, what was that like for you? Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I was very... F very fortunate at the time to uh, to be at Bath. Um, you know, we had a great squad. We had some great players, and you know, we, we were sort of the top of the Premiership at the time. And was there ever a play made by any of the Irish provinces to get you over? Uh, yeah, there was. Um, yeah, there was. I mean, it, you know, it was it was difficult at the time. Um, like obviously, uh, you know, in 2004, um, I left Bath after the World Cup and, and went to Ulster. Um, which again was, you know, pinpointed from from the RFU's point of view. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was it was difficult, and and you know that was the that was a motivation factor for me because um, you know a lot of the players, you know, it's, it's banter at the end of the day. It's it, you know you're yeah, taking the piss out of each other. It's your daily it. existence. Yeah, as well. exactly. So, yeah. yeah. So you know when it certainly when it come round to the Six Nations and everything like that is. You know, they were confident that they were going to win. Um, you know, and, it, and at one point, you know, that was why stopping them winning the Grand Slam was just, for me, was just fantastic because, you know, I listened to it for weeks. Oh, we're going to, you know, they were all, they were all uh, 
saying either we're going to spend their big bonus for winning so the Grand Slam. And what, what you're saying is English stuff, rugby so. players are arrogant. That's, um, I'm reading between the lines here and I'm getting a sense of... Well, yeah, in one way, yeah. So uh, I'm not, you know, it's, um, you know, when you listen to it every day, it, it's, it's banter at first, but then, you know, it's, it niggles at you every now and again. And, uh, you know, that's why, you know, the motivation for me to, to say to the lads, you know, what they're sort of saying, what, what Andy Robinson said, uh, you know, one of the games, you know, it just means so much to everybody. And I think that's... So what was the Andy Robinson thing? Oh, uh, well... Again, I don't want to. I don't want to say that, but that's you know. That's um, you know that's a motivation. I mean, we beat them in Dublin, and uh, does, does everybody else know? Well, no. we beat them in Dublin. And obviously, at Twickenham, they were they were winning it first. Like we changed the defence, and it it went a bit pear shaped, to say the least. But um, you know, he said, just remember, like when we walked out at halftime, he said to me because I obviously it was at Bath. He just said to me, remember Dublin, because it'll never happen again, and. You know, we won the second half, but we still, you know, we still got lost. But, you know, the key to it from, from what Mick was saying earlier is it was a change in player as well and the, and the attitude of the player. So when you had the likes of Brian, uh, Peter Stringer, Ronan, Paul O'Connell, you know, those sorts of lads, they were, they were a new breed and they, and they gave us a massive impetus because they were confident. Yeah. You know, they didn't have any baggage and... And at the end of the day, they're, they're, they're winners. They wanted a win, you know, and that's, that's the key thing, that they went that extra mile, you know. They just changed the whole attitude of the squad. And, you know, they were the driving factor in the standards, setting training, the benchmarks of, of the performance. And yeah. that really drove the, you know, that really drove the results. Andy Robbins was an assistant coach at that point, was he? When he was talking to you about that, so it was. No, he was the England head coach. Then. Ah, okay, all right. Because uh, somebody was wondering if he actually had beaten Ireland as England head coach, but obviously that was the only time, was it? When you say we won, uh, the yeah, second he half. might have been. Yeah, he might have been. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, because uh, he was definitely head coach in 2006 when Shane Horgan touched it down in the last second of the game. Goes, thanks very much, Mr. Robbins. Yeah, yeah. Put that in your fat pipe and smoke it. Jerry, <laughs> uh, what do you expect to happen in this game? Like. What's going to be the thing that tilts it our direction or their direction? Ooh. It's going to be more of the same that we've seen so far. I mean, I, I listened to Brian earlier and he expects Ireland to cut loose at some point, but it probably ain't going to come against England because I think Ireland have scored six, nine, nine, and ten points against them in the last four games, one try. England don't concede many penalties, they don't leak many tries. This team could be different. They look a little bit different. They've got you know, they've got little, very little baggage as well, and George Ford, Jonathan Joseph, Anthony Watson, they're very carefree players, and they brought a new dimension to their back play, particularly Joseph's footwork. So no, they're not the same English team that Ireland have played for the last four years, curiously enough. And they're scoring more tries, but they're also leaking some. Ireland are still, you know, in the post O'Driscoll era, and maybe post Darcy at the moment, trying to find something different. Um, and it might well click one of these days. But I think if Ireland are going to win this game, most probably be like a lot of the, the wins we've been describing here already tonight it'll be one try and Zexto take his kicks yeah. and it'll be a relatively low scoring game and it'll be a foot rush to, to take a 3-6-9 lead because yeah. both teams like to do that we'd settle for a try and three penalties at this point you'd be like yeah we oh, can yeah. win this game absolutely man. completely yeah. and I think there'll be a lot of kicking Ireland were the leading kickers out of hand last year in the Six Nations England were the second highest so it's probably going to be very similar very tight both teams know what's at stake here. There's quite possibly a, a Grand Slam or certainly a Six Nations title at stake. Yeah. All right, uh, most important question of the evening so far from Carl Dempsey 
on Twitter at Off the Ball. If anybody else has any other questions they want to get to us, is it true Golov still between Ron Lagar and Strings on their debut just to look taller in comparison? That's very true, actually. Yeah, that, that is very true because um, I I was I'm actually the most dropped person of all time in Irish rugby. Unfortunately, I've been dropped on 16 occasions. But on top of that, I'm actually the most recalled person as well. But that, that's another story. <laughs> but I think between 95, when we played um, England in the Six Nations, uh, which they hammered us the same day, I didn't get another start in the Six Nations until 2000. And I suppose one of the excuses you always get is that, you know, you're too small for international rugby and the whole lot. So I just, when I was going over that day, I just got this negative thought into my head, you know, you're too small for international rugby. So I said, during the national anthems, the old West Stand and Lansdowne Road. Don't, let, don't stand alongside the likes of Malcolm O'Kelly and Anthony Foley and John Hayes. Even Shane Horgan was the same height as me. He was the winger. I find my two boys, three and O'Gara, pulled them under my wing. And I look massive. That's all I can say. I look massive. <laughs> I didn't actually know that was true. I, I kind of... Just, I, so that negative thought, that... that well, yeah, yeah, well, I, I won't go that far. But, yeah, yeah. But, you know, it was, it was... Now, to be honest, the true story is, like, I had, I had kind of been captain of Munster with the boys, and like, I had seen him come through from, 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 from college, from UCC, from Corcoran, and um, I just had been around them, you know, and, and I don't know, it, was a, it, just happened, it just happened on the occasion, yeah, you're, to be honest. You're supposed to line up in your numbers. That's well, the, this is HIU, yeah, but look, it's, it's funny, I, and if you watch teams, they don't actually, well, back in the day, they didn't do it. You just, right, no. you just fall in there, you know Wherever what I mean? Wherever you are, yeah. Wherever you are. Um, Kevin, when, when you get the call to play for Ireland for the very first time, Obviously, we can see how much it means to you, and, and there's been due, due testimony paid to, to that, um, I think, over the, ever since you played for Ireland. What was that experience like for you? Did you know it was coming? Did you expect it? Um, well, no, my first involvement was uh, the development tour to New Zealand in 97, which was... 80 nil hammering? Yeah, like, I mean, it was... It really was the tour from hell. I mean, uh, you know, I found out... I was put on standby on the Tuesday... Um, you know, all my eligibility and everything like that was sort of um, cleared up Cleared up by, by the Friday. And then on the Friday, I find out that on Sunday I'm leaving. So we're going to Limerick for a week and then we're going to New Zealand for five weeks. And, you know, it was a, it was a massive eye-opener for me. And, you know, we literally got beasted every day. And, and, and obviously Jerry was there as well. So, um, you know... We, we literally went to all the one-horse towns where the horse was dead. And, um, <laughs> Jerry nearly got a game, I heard. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, certainly at one point, uh, you know, Jerry definitely would have got a game. And, um, you know, it was, it was, it was unbelievable. Like, it was only seven weeks, though. Do you remember that, Max? It was only seven weeks. That's all yeah, that's yeah. All, yeah. And, like, even, even on the way home, it was, like, 40 hours, I think, on the plane, you know? And it was, it was unreal. Prepared. And... Uh, Everything just went on for ages, even the training, and it was really tough. And you know, I managed to come through that okay. And you know, unbelievably, it was like my first involvement. And then to be picked against the All Blacks, you know, and be on the bench, you're like, you know, I was petrified. Um, and you can see even that, even now. I mean, uh, you know, quite often I look back at my my highlights and stuff that. Um, one of the guys at Bath did for me. And, you know, you can see me coming on for my first cap and I'm, I'm, I'm white. I'm literally, all the blood has just gone drained through my feet. 
and I'm, I, you know, I'm petrified. And I think, uh, you know, I replaced John McWheeney was, you know, just overall with the whole day as well. Because, you know, there were some of the biggest names in, in world rugby for the last 10 years playing for them, you know. So it was a, it was a massive thing. And it was a massive learning curve. And, you know, it was so exciting, but, but also petrifying. Yeah, ultimately it all ends up pretty well, though. Oh yeah, I'm you know I'm I'm delighted and I'm very privileged to to have had the the run that I've had with Ireland and you know to 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 make so many friends and and to go on so many trips a, abroad and and just have the best time ever really you know yeah you make it sound great being a rugby player which is fantastic ladies and gentlemen our guests this evening we have lots more to come. We're here tonight at the Mansion House with Heineken. We're going to preview the Ireland-England game in a bit more detail. We're going to talk to an English legend. 53106 is our text number. My thanks to Kevin Maggs, to Mick Owen, and Jerry Thorny. But it is time for us to talk to somebody who knows what it's actually like to win a World Cup. Ladies and gentlemen, a World Cup winner with England in 2003, Neil Back. Sweet love, sweet No booze, Neil. Thanks very much. Thank you. Take a seat. Yeah, that was the worst version of Swing Low we could find. Just, you know, we don't want to tempt face. Neil, you're very welcome. Thanks very much for being brave enough to come over. Now, it's great to be here, and uh, it's not often I get booed. I'm actually enjoying it. Can we have a louder boo? Um, we did want to talk about some uh, England performances here, just to remind everybody why we kind of have this fear in the pit of our stomachs every time England come over. 2003, when you win the, the Grand Slam in Ireland, there's a great story about that morning. You arrived down, everybody's a bit nervous at breakfast, but you weren't nervous. Uh, as you can tell, I, I was one of the senior heads there, and I could look around the table and I could see a bit of doubt creeping into some of the players. So flippantly... Um, I said, oh, we'll win by 40 today. And everyone looked at me and said, well, they'll probably get a couple of penalties. And actually, Johnny Wilkinson kicked a conversion from the wrong side of the pitch on his weaker foot, if he'd got a weaker foot, to make it 42-6. So he broke my predictions that day. Yeah. Gutted. You weren't far wrong. Were you being flippant or did you actually kind of have a premonition that things were going well for that team? No. Seriously, we were on a bit of a roll. We had tremendous belief. Um, and that's how I think if you're going to win against the best sides in the world, and Ireland were up there with the best sides in the world, you've got to have that mentality. So you can't think about not being able to perform and not being able to win. So it was important that we all had that common belief that if we do what we do well, and as well as we can do it, we'll win today. You said that you were one of the senior heads there, but it was a very noticeable thing about that pack that they were quite old as a, as a group of players. There was yourself, Richard Hill, and Delali on the back, uh, six, seven, eight, all over 30. Uh, Johnson was obviously over 30. I can't remember who the specific second row was that day that was his partner, but generally you were an old front eight. A wizened front eight, maybe, is more. Yeah, I think uh, experience does count, and I think we were collectively aware that there was a lot of pressure from underneath um, quality players coming through and that made you excel day on day week on week and, and certainly in the back row position behind me was players like Lewis Moody, Joe Worsley, Martin Corrie 
and they could have been the starting back row on that date quite easily. So you needed to perform day by day, week by week, to the best of your ability. So um, just as I think that on Sunday, Ireland's experience, particularly at 9 and 10, will have a bearing on the game, because I think you know, England in Ford and Youngs have got a very talented half-back pairing. I just think that with Conor Murray and uh, Sexton there, the experience will be the telling factor at the weekend. And yeah. that's certainly what happened with us. We had an experienced pack and, you know, did the right things on the day. Mackie, is it, is it true that um, Clive Woodward, because you had obviously lost the, the, the slam in the final game of the three previous uh, Six Nations, is it true? Is it true that uh, that he, he? I don't know whether it was that morning or that week that he said to you, "Listen, lads, you know, if we don't win today, there's nowhere to go." And you know, I think Jono might have mentioned that to me, and he, he kind of said he looked around the room, and, and it kind of hit home that there really wasn't four in a row. Was just it was not a, a possibility. It was it couldn't even go into your thought process. Thanks for reminding me about those defeats, Oral. Um, we, we lost four games effectively in five years, and uh, four of them uh, denied us a, a grand slam. Um, one was in Wales, I can remember it, in 99 at Wembley. We lost by a point. Gibbsy. Gibbsy, Scott Gibbs that day. Uh, the lone crazy Welshman in the crowd, welcome. Well, we'll get to you later. I think he's just cheering that England lost. I, I, I don't <laughs> think he's Welsh at all, you know. I mean, but that day, we were six points up, and Lawrence Lowe was captain that day, and he opted to kick for the corner and go for a five-pointer. And obviously, hopefully, we'd convert seven points. And we failed on that attempt, and Gibbsy went up the other end, and they converted and won by a point. It was 32-31, so we learned how to build a score. And that's what's great about the two England... Uh, sorry, the England side and the Irish side at the moment. They don't, they don't fear winning ugly. They take the points when they're off and create pressure. Three, six, nine. You know, uh, Ireland did that in France, scoring 18 points. Everyone think that was a dour game, but it was a brilliant game. Tactically, you take the points. It doesn't matter. If we'd have lost that game, Ireland would have gone mad. We've won, Ireland have won it. Um, the following year, Scotland, we played in atrocious conditions in the, in the bad rain. And we tried to play an open game. We learned how to build a score. In 2001, you know, uh, the try that Woody, you know, my old pal, I let him run over me from one yard. <laughs> uh, that was on the back of foot and mouth, so it wasn't the last game. It was actually... Um, it, it was in it, November it, or it, October. Yeah, no, yeah, it was due to be the third game in, but because it was delayed, it became the last game, and there was a massive period. And I think Ireland, I was speaking to Woody before, I thought you just played Wales, but you actually played Wales-Scotland. Scotland, yeah before us, so you were up and running. Um, and we come in cold and fresh, and you caught us. Yeah. There, had, there had to be a reason, all right, yeah. No, yeah. no, no, no. <laughs> well, it, it might... <laughs> <laughs> Look, Woody, if it was anyone else coming round there, I wouldn't let them in, because it was you, and <laughs> thanks, I like you. I let thanks, you over. Thanks, thanks, uh, So, you know, we learn important lessons off our defeats, and I think that, that the best sides in the world learn when, yeah. when they lose and, and don't make them same mistakes again. It's an interesting idea as well because, you know, for the expectation that England would do very well and win a lot, when they kept losing those big games, was there a huge call for Woodward to be sacked? Because in most other places, if, if a coach, and he had kept making promises 
judge me on the Grand Slam. And he did that three years. He kept saying it, actually. And, right. and then when it wasn't, it wasn't working for him, was he under a huge amount of pressure? And did you feel that as a team? Look, there's no uh, concussion protocol when I played, or there wasn't. So you just reminded me of uh, Bod's uh, question to me. That final week when we played there, we had to win. We talked about winning for the first time. You know what I mean? We said it's unacceptable, it's not non-negotiable, we've got to go out and win. So our mindset all that week was just about winning. Um, and I think that was the first time we'd said we are going to win during the week. We all felt it, but that's the first time. We, we couldn't have walked away from there having lost that game, basically. A fourth time on the trot would have been unacceptable. You know, the, there may have been questions over the management, certainly players, um, but thankfully we got the job done. Yeah, you see, I, I'm kind of listening to all this now through the prism of, of Ireland and the development of the team over the last while and thinking that we have a World Cup coming up, Brian. So you'd like to think that last season was something was learned from that England game and that hopefully we don't have to suffer defeat this year, but that if we do ultimately in September and October, those lessons will be absorbed and they'll be part of the DNA of this team. I don't, I don't think it was just um, the England game. I think big lessons were learned from the All Black game the previous November. So that was where it really started. Yeah. And then, obviously, the only other game that, that Ireland have lost since then under, under Joe has been against England. Um, and that was, you know, it was a very, very close affair. It could have gone. I think it was a two-pointer, was it? Um, so, three-pointer. So, it's, um, you know, there, there's, um, there's, there's really, there's not much between between these teams and I know that Joe's philosophy and his, his mindset is yes to make yourselves really hard to beat and to and I, I think England are thinking likewise I, yeah. I talked about the defences being a really good starting point and I, I just think that this game is going to be it's, it's on a knife edge it's, it's, it's super hard to call and you know that, losing that pain from last year if, if Ireland are, are to go on to do good things in the World Cup, they don't really care what happens in, in the Six Nations. It would be lovely to have a stepping stone from the Six Nations, yeah. but ultimately the World Cup is where we're after. England went and won the Slam, won, went and won a series down in New Zealand, and then went and won the World Cup. It's all about giving yourself confidence to be able to go and win those big games time and time again. And you've got to do that come a World Cup and you've got to beat the best opposition. You've got to beat France, you've got to beat England, South Africa, Australia, New Zealand to get to a World Cup final. But you, you wonder whether if they hadn't won that Grand Slam in 2003 that they really would have started to doubt themselves because every time they'd had that big game they, you know, they lost and they built on the back of that and, and that, you know, that summer um, series against New Zealand when you held out with 13 against 15 for the last eight or nine minutes which was just like extraordinary stuff and um, you know you wonder whether you have to go to the point where you get a win and do Ireland have to go to that point they, they don't have to but the past performance has shown that it seemed to be easier for England because England even doubted themselves in that World Cup in 2003 and yet still came through it at the end and got the win I think um What's important, winning um, collectively, and if Ireland win on Sunday, it's their 10th win on the row, and that's massively important. It gives you great belief, great confidence. Um, but if Ireland were to win on Sunday, and I think with a half-back pairing, they'll give them the edge, because as Brian said, it's really tight. Uh, you know, which way do you go? Um, obviously, with your heart, I'm going to say England, but with my head, I'm thinking, 
you know what, the half-back pairing will be the difference because I think up front it'll be pretty even. I think the contact area, two really competitive back rowers. Yeah. Um, so it, I think it'll be tight, but I think you'll get the edge. What's important, um, I think, for Ireland, if they do win, they've got two away games. So that is when we'll really know a lot about Ireland. Um, so it's, it's all to play for, but it's going to be a fantastic game. That's something we definitely like to find out how how we would deal with the pressure of having won three games. Um, yeah, we're we're very much looking forward to discovering. Oh, we've got two away games coming up with three out of three. Uh, okay, obviously we've got Neil back here. There's something we need to talk about. Let's have a look at this video. Roll it there, Roisin, please. Munster that close to the Leicester line. Stringer puts in now. Neil back seemed to hit that with his hand. It's one against the head. But Stringer went straight to the referee. Leicester get the ball off. I don't see. Please, I don't see. And Stringer and his teammates still having a go at Joel Jude. Yes, it was the hand of Neil back. No doubt about it. I don't see. Rubbish. I don't see. I don't see. Says the referee. Here's a text, right? Are you going to keep up the Neil Back as pantomime villain nonsense or talk about the reality of that final that Leicester had, had Munster in their pocket? That Munster team were never close to scoring a try in the preceding game time and unlikely to score off that scrum. Neil Back had just texted that in five minutes ago. <laughs> <laughs> I, think, I think we should be comfortable with the idea that, say, Neil's a cheat. Mm. <laughs> What, what about the question, would, would you do it again? <laughs> I'm saying yes. Uh, the Leinster well, fans out there are saying yes. Look, with all things, there are positive and negative. Actually, there's an equal and opposite reaction. Well, well, I'll start with the positives. Peter Stringer is a fantastic player for Ireland, and now he's playing it at Bath. And he's playing 12, 13 years later and he's never let that happen to him again. So in terms of... <laughs> You're welcome, is it? <laughs> so, so in terms of skill development, <laughs> I have helped not only Munster, Ireland and Bath. So he's a better player for it. There's always a downside to it, though, because... You know, I look back at it and think, Jesus, if you hadn't done that, you wouldn't have to polish two Honeycomb Cup winners medals. <laughs> now, the, the, honest, the honest answer is, you know, it, it wasn't um, premeditated, it wasn't a practice skill, um, it was a, an autonomous autonomous behaviour, just, it was there. It was like, you know, I know Woody likes cream cakes. If someone had put a cream cake <laughs> in front of Woody, he'd have took it, and that's exactly what Stringer did. <laughs> tell me, uh, Tommy, our very astute researcher, was like, here, I need you to ask him, did he know where the referee was and did he know where the touch just was? You know, I did, because... Um, the touch judge this side was at the over halfway line, so he was like 30, 35 metres away. And the touch judge that side was opposite the scrum, and the referee went round that side, so... You know what I mean? 
It was just <laughs> no brainer. Yeah, <laughs> it was a no brainer. And like I've said, we've got to remember Peter Stringer and Munster. You know, went on from there because they thought, right, this is not <laughs> this is not going to happen again. And next next season, we Leicester played that Munster in the quarterfinals, and they they beat us. They got their own back and uh, went on to win, obviously, the cup itself. I wonder if we could have a spotlight up there and just pick out Mick Galway, see what he thinks about all this. Hey, look, there he is. Look, let there be light. Well, Mick, what do you think? I can't believe you're sitting down there so smug. I tell you, <laughs> it's true for Woody, right? I've only one thing to say to you. We're staying in the same hotel tonight, right? <laughs> and this time, you've no Martin Johnson and no Martin Curry to back you up. And more importantly, I know your room number, so watch out. <laughs> there is a, a point, too, though, that the, the sense of injustice that Munster felt did drive them on to become a great team. That's... I, I don't know. I don't know if that's true no. necessarily. And I, there was still a bit of, enough of time in the, in the rest of that game. That was the, the good attacking position for Munster to play in. Um, you know, there was a, a journey for Munster for a lot of it. You know, the final in, in 2000, and um, we just didn't play well enough in the day. And then this one, and um, and you know, we all know that if you get the opportunity to do that, you you may well do it. You know, and, and much and all as we like to slag him and make him make him the villain. But um, no, I still thought that there was you know Munster were on that big long journey, and it wasn't their year that year, quite quite simply. And um, and then they had the most those magnificent days in in the years after, and I don't know whether it led on to it. I, I you know, I always thought there was there was you know two or three Heineken Cups in in um, in that monster team anyway. Yeah, would you do it? Don't ask me that question. <laughs> I I, th I think in in, in defence of Baki, you don't know what you would do when until you find yourself in that position. Is it win at all costs, or do you flip a coin and give them an opportunity of having a backs play or a back row move. I don't know. What, I, I, don't think you can, I don't think you'd genuinely answer that. And, and, and it was probably an unfair question asking, would you do it again? Because if it's presented slightly differently, you know, circumstances are slightly different, yeah. you, you mightn't have that opportunity. It was there, he took it. And it was interesting because I remember being on the Late Late Show with Ruby Welch uh, very soon afterwards. And Ruby from Kildare is a diehard Munster supporter. And it, it, was funny seeing, it was funny seeing his reaction. He said, you, you win at all costs. You get it done. Yeah. You just, whatever it takes, you just win. And, um, and listen, he, he, has the, he has the second medal, and he doesn't have a holiday home in Killaloo or <laughs> you know, down, down in Dingle, but I'm sure he's, he survives okay with that. Welcome in Betty's Town, I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, you couldn't do it now because TMO would have you. And that and that'd be it. It would be gone, and it would be a yellow card. And but, but it's in its time of its time. Yeah, you're happy enough with this. Well, I'd like to say I'm an absolute genius, but you know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't I didn't think about it. I just did it, and I got away with it. Yeah. But if if any sort of supporter of rugby could watch that game and say that Munster didn't do anything illegal that they got away with them at that game, then I'd say, oh no, it's wrong. And I'd give them a medal back, but there was plenty of other incidents in that game that went 
unpunished. Yeah, and you guys always maintain anyway that you were the better team on the day. That, like, when you say you, you didn't play well enough to win against Northampton in 2000, the same is true of that Munster team. They didn't quite play well enough to beat that amazing Leicester team either. No, I, th I think we had a really strong team, and on that day, we actually crossed Munster's line four times, and two tries were disallowed. I mean, Martin Johnson, earlier in the game, from a line-out, um, it was overthrown, he took the ball and went over the line. There was nothing wrong with that try, but the referee saw something wrong with it and brought it back. So I think, uh, you know, it was one of those things. A lot was made of it, but there was far more worse incidents that happened in that game that went unpunished, I can tell you. Um, that, that, we're not talking about them now. That, that is an interesting point because, you know, variations of cheating. So in so many circumstances, and you see players cleaning out deep in a ruck or holding someone's jersey, is that any worse than tapping a ball out of a scrum half? Cheating essentially is cheating. It's just it was done in the last minute of the game yeah. in, a, in a prime attacking position, and you know, it was denied of Munster. But you know, a pull jersey or holding someone down a ruck or blocking someone off, how is that any different? Uh, I, I don't like the word cheating. I don't believe it was cheating. <laughs> I, I genuinely don't, because it's like Bro um, Brian alluded to there. A scrum half trying to clear the ball away for the rock and you grab him and prevent him from doing it from a split second, that's as bad. It, it delays the ball. So I reckon in that game there was probably two or three hundred incidents that went... Yeah, it's foul play as opposed to cheating. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. And, and Sorry, I take, I take it back. I'm, I'm more calling I you mean, cheat back if you're upset. The president of Munster, um, after that game, said, look, if one of our players would have done that, we'd have made your mayor a, a banger, I think he said at the time. So He was very confused then, he <laughs> yeah. was. But, um, um, but even if you look at it, and, and the try that I have against England that was shown up there, Eric Miller just takes a guy out in the middle of it. Of course it is. It's, Ill it's illegal play. And we say it's beautiful. It was like Damien Duff's dive against Spain. It was a beautiful thing. And we're all like, yeah, it's great. Yeah. 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 On that note, pantomime. Uh, he's, has, he turned you, has he changed your minds? <laughs> all right. Hello, Mansion House. You're very welcome along to uh, a very special Wednesday night off the ball brought to you in association with our friends at Heineken. We're going to be asking you all if Ireland are going to beat England in a couple of minutes' time, but first we've been asking everybody for their favourite Ireland tries against England, and uh, we can now do a countdown from fourth to first. It's Keith Wood's favourite, but it's the uh, off-the-ball listener's fourth favourite, and it's Ginger McLaughlin. Let's have a look. That's Fitzgerald. This is Campbell into the 22, into Duggan, back to Campbell, back to Duggan. McLaughlin going for that line and Ireland are in and over and the referee gives the try Jerry McLaughlin what a great first by Ireland Jerry McLaughlin is delirious <laughs> he's delirious <laughs> Fred Cogley with a bit of legendary commentary Mick Alway that uh, crowd running on to the pitch thing at uh, Croke Park it's a, it's a you know it's, it's a beautiful thing it truly is, yeah, and I, I suppose one of the great comments that came out of that, that game, even though it was on in Twickenham, the ginger, it was a great score, I think it won Ireland the Triple Crown that year. But, um, Burn. <laughs> just, you know, just, just making sure you know where you're coming from. Um, I think the great, the great comment about that, that try was ginger, like he didn't say that the, 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 
his pack pushed him over the try. He said he, he, he dragged them all over the line <laughs> to get that famous try for Ireland in 1982. So, well, well done, Ginger. I actually had the pleasure of playing with him after. So, phenomenal man, phenomenal player. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely brilliant. So, next is actually from Croke Park, from the annihilation of uh, England by Ireland at Croke Park. Have a look at Shane Horgan in the corner. Those legs are pumping. O'Callaghan is in there as well. Nice stringer. O'Gara, little chip for the massive Horgan. He catches and he scores. Horgan does it again against England. And surely that must be it. Yeah, pretty special, Brian. Yeah, good one. Good one. Um, it was just, it was apt for, for being. Um, being in Croker and um, a little homage to uh, to all those Gaelic footballers that you know allowed us the whole GAA allowed us in there and to play. So um, yeah, it was a very very special day. I'm, I'm just thinking, you know, how how much back he's going to go back to England and say they had the biggest love in over their own <laughs> country you have ever heard in your life. They they think they're going to trounce us this weekend, but um, no, that was uh, was an absolutely cracking try. I think it'll be personally great if Ireland win and win their fourth game out of the last 14. Uh, <laughs> because I think since 87, England have won nine and um, Ireland have won four. So, you know what I mean? It's about time Ireland... So I, I genuinely think, as I've said earlier, that the halfbacks will be the difference on Sunday um, and their control and where the game's played um, and their ability to make decisions and the pressure will be the difference. So I think Ireland will win. In a little note, um, with all the stats up, upstairs, I should have robbed it off him and kept it away, <laughs> you know? All right, so second place, this is Keith, uh, one of Keith's favourites as well. Keith had two favourites, I just realised, yeah, but this one, uh, he's allowed to have two because this one's absolutely amazing. Ladies and gentlemen, Simon Gagan. Damage isn't only being limited this time, some damage is being inflicted. Here's Crossy. Over the top they go, it's there for Bradley. Now Elwood, fielded a little decoy run, it's Danaher. Wallace has come in, Gagan's outside him, and here goes Simon Gagan! And Gagan goes for the corner, and Gagan is in front! That's what we came to see, and Simon Gagan has delivered with his sixth try for Ireland. I wish uh, Irish rugby players had more durable toes. He was another one whose career was cut horribly short, Jerry. Yeah, he, he was uh, absolutely amazing that day. And uh, he was, like, not often that Ireland scored set-piece tries or first, second-phase tries in those days. And that was something you could show to any, any group of kids in the world. It was so, so good. Was it off the training ground, Keith? Um, doubtful, I'd say, at that stage, you know. Um, I mean, he is, uh, Simon is just, was, was mad. You'd, you'd, you'd get, the, get up the morning of the games and you'd have to peep out your door of your hotel room because he'd be doing sprints up and down the corridor before the matches. I mean, he was quite barking mad. But he's, um, he's over for the weekend. He's very, very shy. So if you see him, make certain you go up and pat him on the back because he's over for the match. And Keith also wanted to let you know that he might have some spare tickets on him. So if you're if you're looking for a ticket, you can stop him and ask for a ticket too. Wasn't that what the, oh, yeah, the second half of that? Absolutely, yeah. We, we, yeah. Did you yeah. want to come in there? Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, it swings and roundabouts because that game was my second Test match, and uh, after that game, five of us took the walk from the Peach onto the Richmond Hill. 
which basically meant you're going to play for the second team and got dropped. So um, that was bad memories for me. You say swings and roundabouts. It's all swings for us, though. <laughs> you were playing that day as well, Mick? I was, yeah. I was playing that day in, in, in 94, and it was, uh, it was great to be there, you know. It was, um, it was a phenomenal performance. Woody was, was, was uh, a young Woody with hair, was, was someone that day, so, you know. True. And it was, it was just a great occasion. It was, it was a lovely occasion. And I think one of the driving points behind that was the Lions, the British and Irish Lions trip was the year before, 93. And there was myself and Nick Popple picked on it. I know Richie Wallace and Vinnie Cunningham went out after. But there was 17 English players picked that day in, in 93. Yeah. So the following year, there was, a bit of, there was a bit of payback there, I think, it certainly told on the pitch. And by the way, a certain uh, Kieran Bracken made his uh, debut for England that day as well. Ah, very good. Uh, a dub up the road in, uh, up the road in, in swords, and uh, he, you know, he... Another one who gets booed every time he mentions. Yeah, but um, he didn't last the match, let's put it that way. All right, the winner, the off-the-ball listener's favourite Irish try against England. Have a look. Trinner still has, Ireland still have, Horgan has another opportunity. Is he there? Referee and Eddie O'Sullivan look at each other. Ricky, I have a decision for you. Right, Here away. it comes. Okay, give it to me. You may award the try. Try given. Try given. Ireland lead again. Shane Horgan is the hero, and what a hero. Eddie O'Sullivan going absolutely mental there at the end with the old two fists salute. <laughs> Getting carried away. <laughs> We also skipped the amazing catch and length of the field move there, Brian. So sorry about that. We edited out the good bits. Um, but that was, that was an absolutely amazing game. Uh, you, you played the whole game, Andrew? No, I came off early that day. Um, <laughs> so I made, yeah, I made a, a massive impact and then got taken off because I was too tired. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, it was a pretty, uh, pretty big day. And uh, seeing Shaggy go in, so everybody will remember that. So that's definitely one of my favorites as well. I kind of remember that, Jerry, as the peak of the boom. There's like Ireland in uh, London destroying England back to back. And there's a huge amount of Irish people in the crowd, the way that traditionally Lansdowne Road gets taken over by the English fans because they have access to tickets and they just know how to do it. But we'd done it to them. And it was just an amazing sense around the, the ground that day. There was 15, 20,000 Irish there that day. Yeah, those are the days we had lots of money. Well, that's what you're trying to say. Pretty much, yeah. And now this weekend, there's a real danger that the English are going to arrive with like 10, 15,000 in force like they did in one. And you're right, the crowd play. They, 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 they can verify this, but when you get a crowd, a big Irish crowd, it actually has an impact on the game. It really genuinely could be a, a, a factor on Sunday is how noisy and vociferous and how much green is worn and how many cheering and how many fans are actually singing in the game will be a factor, no? Yeah, Neil, one of the things that I remember about 2003 is that, um, okay, obviously apart from the whole red carpet thing, but actually the English crowd was huge that day, that you had massive support for that Grand Slam game. Yeah, uh, I, I honestly didn't notice the crowd that day um, because we were in the zone. And obviously we were dealing with that incident. I did ask, to ask the fellow which side of the stage I had to sit on today because <laughs> I didn't want to go to the wrong side. Um, we would have just had a chat and said, here, listen, you know, it's, it's grand. This is a, no, to be fair, I'd, I'd like to speak no about deal. that incident very briefly. <laughs> we were totally unaware of the protocol there. Genuinely, um, we won the toss and we went to the side of the pitch. No, seriously. A third boom. No, no. <laughs> We honestly, if, if you 
win the toss and elect to play one way. That's the way you go and stand. So that's yeah. what we did. Yeah, you're never going to forgive again for that yeah, one. It's true. We can forgive you for the monster thing, no problems with. <laughs> uh, all right, Kean Murta is in the crowd somewhere. Kean, a very good evening to you. Yeah, Jerem over here. And you doing? have some questions, good man, yeah. Yeah, we've got a, a Kiwi who's got a, a very good sense of Irish history. Taram's got a question. <laughs> I do. Um, this being the room, the first place the doll ever met in, and the fact that we are playing England at the weekend, do you have any standout team talks prior to an English test? Ah, good question. The doll, Jared, just in case you... Yeah, yeah, no, it came... It's a bit, bit harsh there, Keane. So this is the first room the doll sat in. You know, it's a historic room. 300 years old, I think. Uh, any standout team talks? You would have been given some, you would have been receiving some, Keith? Very few of them were, um, are possible to be mentioned fully in public. And um, it became very simple for us at the start, was just to, just to kick the crap out of them. And um, I can't remember any specific ones, I have to say. You know, I think they all kind of meld in together. There's a few kind of good ones, but, but not for an Ireland-England game. I, was, it, was, it, was that the one where you were... Was that against England, Golov, where um, the guys had drawn on your shorts? <laughs> where instead of having Nike, the guys look down and see Mikey loves Joni <laughs> in his white shorts. Was That's actually very true. <laughs> um, there, was a certain, there was a certain other company sponsoring the shorts at the moment and you mightn't think it to look at me now but I had a bit of a big bum at the time and the shorts <laughs> didn't fit me well and I remember I got a pair of shorts and uh, I put on the Nike and it was po Nick Popplewell and Claw drew on it uh, Mikey loves Joan and uh, I was literally walking out for the national anthem and I realised this, realize this was on my shorts so I had to do a U-turn and change the shorts so and by the way, we lost the game the same day. That'll tell you about the preparation. <laughs> but, uh, that was one of those ones, yeah. It was Classy's false. Uh, Brian, what about you? Any, uh... No, obviously a couple from Muddy. Um, one very embarrassing, one that I remember, the, the 07 game, and we had a, a camera behind the scenes, yeah. and you know, subsequently saw when, when, the, when the film was all cut together. And I was talking at halftime, and whatever spiel I was coming out with, I, I was shouting at the lads, and then I finished off. And if we do that... We will be victorious. <laughs> I thought, oh my God. Right. <laughs> You're not in bleeding gladiator. <laughs> and uh, it got played back and actually um, on, it got the piss taken out of it on, on Gift Grub by uh, Mario. And yeah, I cringe when I think back to that one. Actually, I, I do remember one from 2001. And I think we two mascots came out and I brought everybody in just before the, the, the you know on the field in the circle and I'm effing and blinding absolutely like blood boiling and I look down and see these two little eight-year-old kids kind of <laughs> smiling up at me and I sort of like mortified and then of course you forget about it and uh, back in the Berkeley court afterwards this this uh, lovely old lady um um, comes up to me and she said, I'm the grandmother of the mascots today. They learned an awful lot of new words. <laughs> <laughs> All right, another one from Cian. Yeah, Ger, I've got a couple of other questions. Someone who's not brave enough to ask Brian themselves is wondering if he's going to get in trouble for wearing his wedding ring on his wrong finger or if we're wearing black and blue. So I don't know if he wants to feel that one, but I've also got uh, Brian here who's got a question. <laughs> yeah, how you doing, that? lads? Um, just obviously, there's a nice mix of backs and forwards on the panel. 
Um, Brian and Neil were talking about Ireland and England both knowing how to build a lead, 369, etc. So I'm just wondering, do the panel think it would have a negative effect or a positive effect to reduce the value of a penalty to two points again? Because there's been a bit of debate recently. Thank you. Um, Andrew, any thoughts on that? I don't know. I don't know if that's a good idea, <laughs> to be honest. I think we've got something that works really well. And I think last week, we're, uh, there's a lot of people who were critical of, um, of, of us beating France uh, because it was that sort of a game, 3-6-9. And to, to my mind, that's, that's a spectacle as well. It's just a slightly different yeah. type of spectacle. So I think um, just leave well enough alone. Don't be mucking around with the rules. Also, are you, are, you not, are you not going to uh, encourage more, more penalties to be given away? Because it's only two points. Yeah. yeah. What's two points? Give them, a give them a couple of shots of coal there. No, I that's, think. that's definitely what Joe will say, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> he definitely say it'd be grand. There's only three points. <laughs> Kevin Mags, do you, do you like the rules of the, the laws, sorry, of the game at the moment? Sorry, I'm sorry. Yeah, I mean, there's, there's lots of controversy around uh, the chip tackle not competing at the line Well, out. there's no controversy. There's only shit stirring uh, from Wales. That's all there is. Well, yeah, there is, but, you know, that, that, you know at the end of the day, the, the rules are there and everyone knows them, so let's just get on with it. Yeah. This is, um, somebody called it Warren Ball on Monday night. They were saying, no, this is what happens. A couple of weeks out from a game, somebody gets sent out to say something and the referees get tipped off. Oh, the choke tackle, I need to look. This could be dangerous. Oh, that might be dangerous play. Maybe they get one penalty. Maybe they, I don't know. Become part of the pre-match build-up. Referees read what's said in the papers, hear what's said in the radio, so forth. And uh, yeah, and they all played the referee. And, and it's, it's, it's interesting to note that Ireland became the leading exponents of a brand new tactic in the game called the choke tackle. They pretty much Ireland invented it. And, yeah. You know, that's pretty cool. And we have a problem with our yeah. creativity. Uh, okay, last one from Kim. Hey, Sorry, uh, Neil, you want to come in on that quickly? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I personally don't think there should be a change in the point system because let's not forget everyone's trying to score tries you only kick between the poles when someone cheats to prevent you from scoring tries you, you so don't like the word cheat though no no okay for other <laughs> he's very happy for other people <laughs> okay well it happens to us a rose boy any other a rose boy any other name would smell as sweet doesn't matter what you call it, okay? It's infringing. But also, what, what I think would help is if you like um, the point system, if you score more than four tries, you get a bonus point. I, I think that's a very good rule that could be introduced into Six Nations yeah. to encourage a more free-flowing game. Yeah. All right, last one from Keen. Yeah, we've got a question here from Owen as well, Jer. How are you doing? Um, I'm hoping you can square a circle for me. Uh, Joe Schmidt's Lancer team were very uh, exciting. Joe Schmidt's uh, Ireland team were very, are very um, conservative, or some people say boring. Could you um, contrast them or comment on that, please? Go on. Listen, it's, it's, it's caliber a player, you know? I think people don't realize how, with the organization of national teams now and the quality of those players, the messages that they're being given international week, they're able to decipher and put all that into practice an awful lot quicker than your average club player. That's why they're international players. Is it also so, true that it took a long time for the massive free-flowing champagne rugby at Leinster to emerge, that it wasn't day one, oh yeah, we're just throwing the ball around? 
No, I, I think we had to convince Joe, first of all, that we were a decent team. I think he had his doubts. And, and when we managed, you know, he thought it was a bit of a, maybe a bit of a fluke that we beat Claremont in the quarterfinal of the, of the Heineken the year before he came. Uh, and then we had to do a bit of convincing and show him a training that we were capable of playing an elaborate game. I just think Ireland are going to cut loose at some stage. I don't know, is it going to be this Six Nations? Is it going to be in the World Cup? But they're, they're, they're playing winning rugby. They're playing to a, a, a really great strength. They've got a very good kicking game in Johnny Sexton. They've got um, a huge back line that are able to get them over the gain line yeah. in Robbie Henshaw, uh, Jared Payne, two big wingers that are very good at kick contesting. You, you're playing to your strengths in, 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 in that team. So it'll come in time. People just have to have a little bit of patience. And, and like I said, it's not going to come next. Uh, it's not going to come on Sunday, but I definitely think it could come on Saturday week or Saturday fortnight. Yeah. All right. Time for predictions. You, have you decided yet which way you're going to lean on this? Uh, I was going to England earlier in the week, and then I had a chat with Golov yesterday. And he persuaded me that Ireland are going to win. Actually, and then Neil Back persuaded me a little bit more tonight. I think that 9-10, Ireland have got something a bit special, as Drico says. What? We've got five full backs in the back line who are very good at contesting the high ball. Why, why are you leaving England? Tell me that, because that, that's... Because they're good, you know. I was really impressed with the way they went to Cardiff and went 10-0 down and went 16-8 down on half-time and just stayed so composed. You know, I just think they're, they're a little bit of a new animal, but then they haven't... And you see, you say they haven't been testing somewhere like... They've been testing Cardiff and they yeah. came through it very well. So I think they're a real threat, that's all I'm saying. Real threat. Keith? I think there's nothing in it. Um, I, I think it'll be really, really tough... Um, and it comes down to, to discipline and will come down absolutely to discipline. I think England's defence has been, I know they gave a couple of easy tries against Italy, but they were opening up against Italy. They were scoring tries easily as well. Um, I think their discipline at, at ruck time is very, very good. And I thought we were a little bit sloppy at that ourselves um, last week. I, like, I think we'll win, I, I, I'm, I'm, but I wouldn't be Here. jumping up and down confident to say, yes, we're absolutely going to win. I think it is very, very tight. Here's breath type thing. I did have one more question that I wanted to ask the panel, but I'm not going to have time to get to it tonight, so we'll talk about it on Friday. Seamus Ryan from Killarney wanted to know about the clash of fixtures on Sunday where everybody in um, there's lots of GEA matches on at the same time as the rugby and the sports fans aren't very well served by that. Neil, you've already said your heart says England are going to win, but your head thinks um, Ireland are going to win. If you were to reverse it and explain how England might beat Ireland, what, what would be the one thing that you would say has to happen for England to win this game? I think we need to do what we haven't done in the previous two games, and that's to start well. We've started slow. If we do that against Ireland, I just think they'll squeeze us. Uh, so the start of both halves is massively important. We can't come out sluggishly. We've got to get on the front foot from minute one. Um, I think it's interesting the selection of Noel in the side to combat the kicking game that Sexton's got, and he's outstanding at it. So um, it's an interesting selection there. But yeah. what I like about Lancaster is stuck with the, the, the team. The way England are going to beat Ireland is dominate at set-piece. If we can't get dominant, if there's a parity at set piece, I think Ireland's now, in terms of their experience at 9 and 10, will be the difference. Yeah. All right, we talked a bit about this earlier on, Brian, so I kind of know what you think is going to happen. Um, that selection that England have made, and Joe hasn't made his selection yet, OK, so England haven't officially made the selection, but we all know who they're going to pick. Does that change his thinking in any way in the last 24 hours? Not massively. There'll be a huge focus on just what, what, they, what, what Ireland want to do themselves. Of course, you take into account a little bit as to the personnel, as you would any, any day, but I don't think it's going to, the, the personnel shift is going to change. Um, I, I think one, one key um, 
one key performance for England this weekend is, and I would imagine he's going to be played at fullback, is Alex Good. Uh, he, uh, is a, he's playing well for Saracens at the moment. Mike Brown's now out. And I just think that Alex Good, if he can get his grass cover sorted along with his wings and make it hard for Sexton to ping the corners, yeah. I think he could be huge to England's um, successful performance against us. So if we can get the ball bouncing in behind wingers and making sure he's not catching on the full, I think sign. that will go a, that'll go a long way towards building momentum and territory. Yeah. Andrew, what do you think is going to happen? I think uh, in the past we've been, uh, you usually tend to be uh, concerned about a big English pack coming over and and just lifting the intensity, lifting the physicality and, and us you know, being a victim of that. But I'd imagine we'll get parity up front um, where I think um, is a massive English threat is their, is their, their back three, probably their, their whole back line, to be honest. Um, Jonathan Joseph is just um, tearing people apart. I think um, Niall is a, uh, is, a <coughs> is a massive strength for England. I think um, he'll definitely produce a bigger threat than Johnny May. Um, so I think we've got our hands full there. Um, nice. I think we'll come out on top because I don't think it'll be that kind of game. It's going to be a, it's going to be an arm wrestle. Kevin Mags, you think Ireland are going to win? Yeah, I think it's going to be uh, it's going to be close. It's going to be about by five points. I think I think it's going to be sort of twenty three eighteen. And again, I I agree with Neil that the battle is going to be up front. Final word to you, Mick. Yeah, I think. Um I certainly think scrum is key this weekend. You know, even though we, in our autumn series we struggled in the scrum, we, we, we still got the results. But um, I think a huge game for Mike Ross. I assume he's going to be playing tight. He's key this weekend. If we get our scrum right, I think in the other facets of play, at the breakdown, the lineouts, and indeed all our backs, I think, I think we can get even or, or, or more than parity. So scrum is key because you don't want to give away a few soft penalties. If you give away soft penalties, it sets the tone for the game, particularly at scrum. So if we get our scrum right, I think we'll win. Simple as that. All right, what does our crowd think? Are Ireland going to win? Yeah. Yeah, it's relatively confident. It's, uh, the, it's the man and woman on the street and the off-the-ball listener. Please, big round of applause for our Super 7s tonight. They've been absolutely amazing. Off the ball. Getting inside the game. Sponsored by Ireland's favourite car brand, Ford. Go further.